Oh, it's good to be in town when God is. Hallelujah. We'd be out of line if we didn't praise the Lord for a minute. Stand to your feet, if you would, please. Stand to your feet. The Bible says, come into his courts with... Oh, no. Enter, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come to his courts with... We're going to have a 60-minute praise break. Now, this is Georgia, so y'all probably more accustomed to it than the people up in Virginia, all right? But I want you to open your mouth for 60 seconds and praise God for everything you can think of. Just open your mouth. In the book of Acts, they lifted up their voices to God in one accord, voices plural. Y'all in on this? 60 seconds. You open your mouth and praise God for 60 seconds. Father, praise you that you're a good God. Praise that you're a holy God. Praise you that you're a merciful God. Oh. Praise you, Jesus. You're a blessing, Lord. Incredible. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for being such a good God. <laughs> oh, God, thank you. Bless you. Praise you. Worship you. Honor you. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Now, Lord, if we didn't cry out, the rocks would. So, Lord, we give you praise. We just lift up and say glory be to God for the deliverances, the cleansings. Lord, how blessed it is to be clear and clean in the sight of God and to sense it in our hearts. Thank you for the blood applied. Oh, Lord, teach us and lead on tonight. We give you praise. All God's people say hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. Man, I'm enjoying this. This is my kind of church, man. This is what I live for. I live for this right here. And I love a revival atmosphere, Pastor Billy. Thank you for uh, plowing up the ground and y'all are praying and seeking God. I think it's fantastic. Well, I got a free book for you. Is that on the screen? If you have your cell phone, you can get it out for 15 seconds and take a screenshot of that little scan box. And we want to give you a free book on the prayer life of Jesus. All you got to do is uh, go to that, slip in your email address, and they will, from the office, they will send you a copy of the prayer life of Jesus. I believe it can be a help and a blessing to you. Now, I want to say thank you. Pastor Billy, Billy is a marvelous host. Appreciate the kindness, the hospitality, the fellowship. What a great to get re reacquainted with some and to meet some for the first time. I've just enjoyed this. It's just been uh, tremendous. I'm not sure we're doing the right thing, but uh, we need to talk about this. But, you know, you know uh, I just want to thank you for that. And I want to say this. We didn't bring any material because we're only going to be here for Sunday night, right? But um, on our website, we got all kinds of goodies. Here's the prayer protocols, biblical protocols for prayer, how to enter the presence of God. Uh, I think it'd be a help. And here's our, the latest book, The Power of Forgiveness. It's got four sections and deals with what we've been talking about, plus a whole lot more. Uh, the Power of Forgiveness, how to get along with everybody all the time. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, the way you get along with somebody is by staying away from them. That's true. So anyway, here's one right here, power of forgiveness. And God's really been plowing us up on forgiveness, hasn't he? 
It's wonderful to get free. And then here's one, extraordinary strength in adversity. Extraordinary strength in adversity. So many people going through a hard time. Fellas, go ahead and just pass those out if you would, please. Just take these. Don't start reading them. Just uh, tuck them away in your Bible. But extraordinary strength in adversity. All kinds of books on our website you can check out. Also, I told you we do prayer advances. Hadn't said much about it. But we don't do prayer retreats. I think we backed up long enough. It's time to turn around and go forward. We're having prayer advances. Men's advance in January, high-powered. Y'all would fit right in. I'm just telling y'all would just fit right in. <laughs> it's uh, nuclear strength, uh, preaching, uh, praying, soul-searching, worship through the roof. Uh, ladies' prayer advance in March. A little card back there on the table if you're interested in that. Check that out. Now, I want to say this. Revival is not the goal. It's a gateway. Revival is not the goal. It's a gateway. And you all have been going through this Experiencing God uh, study, which is the Revival Walk, the Calvary Road. That's what this is. And, and you know what? Uh, God wants us to experience Him because it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see. I know people are afraid of experience, afraid of emotion. I'll just say this. There ain't no way in the world you're going to have a, a face-to-face encounter with a holy God and not get stirred in your soul. There just ain't no way. I just don't believe that. And I'm, we're not looking for a feeling, but how many would say hallelujah when we get one? Amen? Yeah, it's all right. It's okay. Just, we're humans, right? And I want to say this, that prayer is more than a duty. Uh, prayer is more than a discipline. God intends for prayer to be a delight. So a very simple message this evening called Prayer, Honesty with God. One time there was a pastor that had a building that would seat 700 people, but he only had 17, very discouraged. He went to a more experienced pastor and he said, sir, if you had a building seating 700, but only had 17, what would you do? He said, I'd work with those 17 until they got joyously happy in God. And then he said, I think your building would begin to fill automatically. And you know something, when we stop enjoying God, when we stop enjoying the presence of God, we become candidates for revival. There's 550 references to joy and rejoicing in the Bible. Our God is a supremely happy God, for in thy presence there's fullness of joy. And brother, if your face looks like a reprint of the book of Lamentations, you need a facelift tonight. You come to the right place right here, I'm just telling you. And revival deals with those things that keep us from enjoying God through the Holy Spirit. One man said, what good is it to dwell in Jerusalem if we never see the face of the king? P.T. Forsyth said, we do not pray in order to live the Christian life. We do not pray in order to live the Christian life, but rather we live the Christian life in order to pray. Jesus said, my father's house shall be called a house of I'm sorry, a house of God's central definition of the church is a house of prayer. His central desire for the church is that it be a house of prayer. Now, you have a marvelous campus and a beautiful building, but there isn't anything sacred about the house of God. <laughs> this ain't nothing but a building. And the fact of the matter is that uh, man is the dwelling place of God. We've been made a habitation of God by His Spirit. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So if God lives in you and God lives in me, then the Father's house 
the, the Father's house, a house of prayer. One time there was a mother that had a couple of children that were very mischievous all the time, getting in trouble and pulling stunts. And the mother tried everything to get them sorted out. She yelled at them, threatened them, disciplined them. Nothing worked. They were getting worse. She was at her wit's end. She began to talk to a neighbor and pour her heart out. And the neighbor woman said, well, sister, I had the same trouble with my children. She said, you know, I tried everything. And nothing worked until I took them down and let my pastor talk to them. She said, well, since pastor talked to them, I have had hardly any trouble at all. Well, she got encouraged, called up this pastor, made an appointment. Maybe he could work a miracle on her two brats. So here they're going to see the pastor and they have the children guilty of sin. And uh, they're going to come up with an authority figure. And he represented God, which was all the more intimidating. And, and they're fear and trembling. And, the, and they go in the office and the pastor says to the mother, after she introduced the boy, she said, he said, why don't you wait outside? I want to talk to your boys here in private. So she went outside, closed the door. Pastor looked at the oldest kid and he said to him, he said, son, sitting across the desk, he said, son, where is God? Well, he just sat there. Pastor spoke up and he said, son, I ask you a question. Where's God? Well, he just sat there terrified. The little brother was praying. He felt like, or praying, or was crying. He felt like crying as well. And the pastor got really abrupt. So you know he was an independent Baptist. And he said to him the third time, he said, son, I asked you a question twice. I'm going to ask you one more time. Where is God? About that time, the kid got up and ran out of the room. And he yelled out and he said, mom, mom, they've lost God around here. And now they're trying to blame that one on us too. They'd done a lot of things they shouldn't have done. But if they'd lost God uh, there in the church, uh, they're on their own on that one. And you know, that's the predicament of a lot of people. They've lost the presence of God. Duncan Campbell said, Brian Edwards said, that revival is just an awareness of the presence of God. And we have this awareness. But when we lose this keen awareness of God, we become candidates for revival. I was in Bible college. We had the world's most unusual chapel speakers. Should have gone for the Guinness Book of World Records. Unusual chapel speakers. And one guy was up there one time. And he looked out there. I said about three quarters back. He said, it's the most natural thing in the world for a Christian to pray. Mm -hmm. Boy, that caught my attention. It's the most natural thing, he said, for a Christian to pray. And I sat there and I thought, now if that's true, if praying is natural... For a Christian, I must not be one because prayer was just about anything but natural to me at times. I've since learned that if you're in the flesh, it's abnormal to pray, but if you're in the spirit, it's quite normal to pray. Now, before you can have a prayer time, you've got to have a prayer life. And I want to talk to you tonight very simply about how to develop a meaningful relationship with God in prayer. This is just a street level here tonight. Revelation 3, verse 20 on the screen. Read it out loud. Jesus outside the door at the church of Laodicea. Not a hundred years out from Calvary, and Jesus is already trying to get back in the church. Now, he wrote this to the messenger, the angel, the pastor. But there's an application for us. Read it out loud, the words of Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door. Jesus said, I'm standing at the door. 
knocking. He's the one that always takes the initiative. And he said, if any man hear my voice, John 10, he said, all my sheep hear my voice. All my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. You ever hear his voice? Does he ever speak to you? He said, all my sheep hear my voice. Oh, I, I know them. And he said, if any man hear my voice and open the door, he said, I will come into him. I'll have dinner with him. I'll have fellowship with him. He'll have fellowship with me. When you open your heart door to Jesus, you don't have to beg him to come in. You don't have to drag him over the threshold. You just get the door open and he's coming on in and he's going to have dinner with you. He's going to have fellowship with you. You're going to have fellowship with him. You know, in prayer, it's two people are required, one who speaks and one who listens. And nobody monopolizes the conversation. So prayer is conversing with God. And a praying heart is just being on speaking terms with Jesus. Prayer is giving God access to your heart. And that's what we've been doing here. We've been throwing our hearts open. Lord, what, what's in here? Anything in here ought not to be here? And, and we've been dealing with stuff. Isn't it good to be clean? Isn't it great to be clear? And I'm telling you, God wants this church to be clean and clear. He wants me to be clean and clear, I'm telling you. Andrew Murray said, prayer is dialogue between two people who love each other. Quit saying your prayers, start praying your prayers. It's not monologue, it's dialogue between two people who love each other. Now, tonight, I'm not going to give you an expository sermon, so if that's going to offend you, you can slip out quiet. I'm just going to give you my testimony tonight uh, that I hope could be a help to somebody. I grew up in Southside, Virginia on a tobacco farm in a liberal church. I'll tell you about it a little bit. And you know, I got confirmed when I was 10. Confirmed. Sprinkled some water on the head. Went home that afternoon after taking that course. Cursed my brother out, 10 years old. And I said to myself, ain't nothing happened to me. That was my analysis, that uh, this ain't, ain't nothing to this. This ain't real. Well, I wandered around 14, 15 years old, went to a public school, heard a, uh, went to a gospel movie, a Christian movie. The little guy got up at the end. He said, God loves you. He said, Christ died for your sins. He said, you can have peace with God by receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. I never heard anything like this. I snuck, snuck down to the inquiry room. Too much of a chicken to walk down the aisle, Bobby. So I had to sneak down. And uh, got down there and he went through the whole spiel. And I, I, I turned to the Lord. I thought, man, alive, this is fantastic. You know what I thought? Praise God, I found the answer. I'm going to go back to church and tell them. And they're going to be standing in line to hear what I got to say. I was stunned when nobody had any interest but me. Well, it was a liberal church. And I began to see this ain't right. And. So I wandered around in the spiritual wilderness for, for uh, a long time. And finally, three years later, uh, a Bible study sprang up 30 miles from my home. And um, it turned into a Baptist church. I'm talking about a soul winning, born again, premillennial, Schofield Toten, uh, on fire, uh, <laughs> heaven. Uh, Y'all know what I'm talking about. Most people don't know what I'm talking about, but you, you know what I'm talking about. I never seen anything like it. Man, I showed up in there like a Jesus person, man. My hair was down to here. I had an army jacket with a one-way sign on the back, which was a whole lot better than what I had on the other one. Just trust you me, a whole lot better. Oh, 
Had me a 71 Pinto Jesus Save sticker, uh, zip up red letter, King James Bible. I, mean, I didn't know nothing, but boy, I was excited. And I got in this church and, and I, you know, I didn't know anything. I just didn't know anything. So they told us what to do. They said, now don't drink alcohol. All right. Then they said, don't smoke. My dad was a tobacco farmer. So I already knew that that was poison. <laughs> then they said, don't go to the dance hall no more. And then they said, stay out of the pool room. You're liable to lose your testimony. They told us what not to do. Then they told us what to do. Oh, they would all at the time say, come to church every time the doors were open. And the doors were open pretty much all the time. They said, read your Bible every day. And then they told us to tithe. And 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 they told us to tithe. I thought, do we have a learning disability here? Do we really have to give 30 days to this every year for crying out loud? Just go ahead and give 10% and be done. I, I didn't understand, but they told us to tithe. And then they told us to pray. Now, now listen, the implication there was do the do's and dodge the don'ts and you'll be right with God. But the Bible does not say don't walk in the flesh and you'll be in the spirit. It does not say that. The Bible says walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'm here to tell you, you can do the do's and dodge the don'ts like the Mormons and still go to hell. That ain't got nothing to do with it. And by the way, if the do's and don'ts don't match up with the black and whites of the word of God, you ought to be suspect of them anyhow. Go ahead and give me a southern amen on that one. It's good preaching here, Brother Autry. I'm going to have to amen myself. Now, they, 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 I, I knew what to do. They told us to pray. I wanted to pray. I tried to pray. The only problem was I had a hard time praying, Pastor Billy. I just be flat out honest. I mean, uh, I wanted to pray, tried to pray. I mean, you know, you got to get used to talking to somebody you can't see when you become a Christian. It's, you, can't, you can't see him, you know. So here I was giving these efforts at prayer. But a lot of times I ran into the ceiling treatment in prayer. Felt like there was a barrier between me and God. Often when I would pray, it felt like my prayers were ricocheting off the ceiling and hit me in the face about as quick as it came out of my mouth. Got the distinct impression I'm not making contact with heaven. Can anybody identify with this? So I tried to pray. Lord, um, thank you for today. Uh, Lord, uh, please be with my family. And you know what? When all you're doing is mouthing what you heard somebody else say, and you're struggling for every syllable, not a whole lot of God enjoyment in that kind of prayer life. But that's what I suppose to do. I just give it a shot. I had a second problem. My mind tended to wander when I would pray. I mean, I, I, mean, I should have voted myself the president of the National Mind Wanderers Association in prayer because I was convinced nobody else was having as rough a go uh, trying to pay attention. Uh, I was thinking of everything except God. <coughs> it was awful. Now, every now and then I'd have a meaningful breakthrough with God, but uh, most often I got the ceiling treatment. Well, my church, on fire, soul winning, premillennial, evangelistic, missionary minded, Born again, hottest fire, Baptist church decided to have a revival. How I many know what revival used to mean back in the old days? You get a red hot evangelist to come in there and burn the socks off the congregation. Man, we had a fire breathing, nuclear powered evangelist. I've never been to a meeting like this. Man, that guy would get up there and preach on sin. And every time his finger, his finger was about a 
two feet long. Every time that thing would come out from behind the pulpit, it was always up in my face. Those beady, beady Superman eyes. <laughs> Just zeroed on, in on me every time. I thought, oh man, I've been found out. And there he was preaching on sin. Oh, I never heard anything like this. He just happened to select the five sins I was guilty of there that first night in revival meeting. Oh, oh, I thought, man, he must have been talking to my mom. I mean, what in the world? What in the world? Now, at our church, when, when God spoke to us, we went to the altar. Y'all know what that is, don't you? Now, I went to the altar so much. In those days, they should have had a little reserved for Harold plaque right here at the altar. Every time I went to church, I got under conviction. Nobody else seemed to ever get under conviction, but I qualified. If it was a sin, I was, I was guilty. So I didn't wait for any invitation, Pastor, Brother Charles. I just run on down here to the altar, got in my spot. There was my plaque. Of course, I had this with me. <laughs> Dear God, please forgive me of all my sins. I have to come up with another illustration. And um, it's kind of like I was saying, now God, I don't have time to go into detail tonight. So rather than praying retail, I'm going to pray wholesale. And rather than pray brand name, I'm going generic tonight. And I'm just going to kind of bushel and bundle all my sins in one fell swoop. Lord, Lord please forgive me of all my sin. Well, that's the way the deacons pray. But it was the wrong way to pray. So I got up off my knees. I went over there and took the pastor's hand. I said, Pastor, I've just come tonight to rededicate my life to the Lord. How many know that uh, rededication is not in the Bible? That's an American invention. If you go back on your dedication to God, you don't need to rededicate. You need to repent of where you went back in the first place. It's just a way of getting out of telling God the truth. That's all that is. But that's what we did. We had a preacher, I come to rededicate my life. I was sincere. I mean, really, I was sincere. <laughs> and the uh, pastor turned around and said, hey, Brother Harold has come to rededicate his life. How many of you are excited? Boy, they shouted the house down. How many are you going to be praying for Brother Harold? They all shouted amen. I thought, man, alive, here I am. A revival meeting, born again, Baptist church. First revival meeting, rededicated for Christ, smooth sailing from here on out. Right? Uh, wrong. <laughs> That's not the way it was. And I've learned the way to confess your sin is not all at one time, but the way you commit them one at a time. Lord, I've been impatient. Lord, I've been worried. Lord, I've had a bad spirit toward my wife. The way you confess your sin is not all at one time, but one at a time. And that's the way to get the barrier down between you and God. But I didn't know that for the longest kind of time. Well, I come into my second stage of prayer, Brother Autry. <laughs> yeah, still here, brother. <laughs> Dear God, please help me to be a better student of your word. Lord, please help me to be a better soul winner. Lord, please help me to be more obedient to my parents. You guys on the second row need to write that down. All right, just write that down right there. <laughs> Lord, help me not to have these evil thoughts. 
at night. I prayed that about 10,000 times. Lord, please help me to be a better Christian. What is a better Christian anyway? Have you ever met a better Christian? And when I was asking God to make me a better Christian, that was just a way of getting out of telling God that I was a fairly sorry Christian. It was a moral dodge. Uh, when you become a Christian, God doesn't just come to help you out. He comes to take you over. Amen. I used to think if I get God to help me out, man, I'll pull off some stuff, man. I can pull off stuff if I get God to help me out. God's not the least bit interested in being my associate or your assistant. When Jesus comes into your life, he's going to come to just to help you. And he comes to take you over. The right prayer is not, Lord, help me. The right prayer is, Lord, forgive me. You heard about the little boy praying, Lord, help me not to be jealous. The Lord broke, broke in and said, son, it's too late. You already are. And most of the time when we need praying for help, we don't need help. What we need is forgiveness. Don't pray, Lord, help me. Pray, Lord, have me. Don't pray, Lord, help me, but Lord, have me. I ain't got nothing to offer but failure, but here I am, a surrendered heart. Amen. Boy, that gets the ear of God. But yeah, I, I didn't know that. Well, my third stage of prayer, my third stage of prayer. How many know that God gives parents children to train the parents? <laughs> we train the children too, but they train us. And Boy, I didn't know nothing. Our oldest, Michael, was born a couple of years later. Here comes old Brandon. And children love children. Babies love babies. I'll tell you what. And uh, by the way, my daughter-in-law is trying to do some extraordinary means to have a child. I appreciate prayers for her that she could conceive, okay? But in, anyhow, so, so here we're at home. Uh, there's the nursery. Here's Michael. He's four, five. Here's about four. Here's Brandon, his baby brother, laying on the floor. My wife and I go in the office to do some work. A blood-curdling cry comes out of the nursery. We go running in, and what happens? Uh, teeth impressions in the baby's leg. Well, nobody in there but Michael. So I called him over here. I said, son, get over here. I said, did you bite your brother? Yeah, Dad. There's a period in childhood development when they don't know enough to lie. It's the briefest period in childhood development. They quickly outgrew this. He didn't understand cause and effect. I don't know, a politician in the family. <laughs> yeah, Dad, I did it. I said, well, you heard him? Hey, look, look, get over there and apologize. So he went over there and he hugged him. I said, sorry, Brandon. I said, get over here. I said, Michael, you going to bite your brother again? No, Dad. You promise? I promise. I thought, case closed, problem taken care of. Fifteen minutes later, a blood-curdling scream. Teeth impressions in the baby's arm this time. I go in there, and the baby's wailing. And I said, Michael, Michael, get over here. Did you bite your brother again? Yeah, Dad. I said, well, you said you weren't going to do it. Go over there and tell him you're sorry. Try to teach him, teach him to make restitution, right? Sorry, Brandon. I said, get back over here. I said, you going to bite him again? Oh, no, Dad. Do you promise? He didn't know what promise meant. And he never stopped biting him and other children until an evangelist came by and their little dead girl bit the daylights out of him and he ain't bit nobody since. <laughs> now, I learned right then, when my children mess up, I don't want a bunch of promises I know they can't keep. Oh, Dad, I'll never run in church again. <sighs> You're right. Oh, I'll never go across the street again. 
<laughs> when my children mess up, I don't want them making a bunch of promises. I know they don't have the strength to keep. You know what I want to hear them say? Dad, it was wrong. Sorry. You know how hard, hard that is for a five-year-old? Fifteen-year-old? Thirty? Fifty? Sixty? You know how hard that is? When we mess up, God doesn't want us making a bunch of meaningless promises that we don't have the power to keep in the first place. All he wants us to do is to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. But I didn't know this. Well, our church, we had, we had New Year's Eve services, Pastor Billy, called a watch night service, y'all. How many ever been to a watch night service? What do you do? Get the guilty Vulcan evangelist to come in and Scald the congregation, remind them of every sorry thing they did the year before they shouldn't have done and every good thing they should have done that they didn't do. And around midnight, the evangelist gets everybody up at the altar to make a what? A New Year's Eve resolution. How many ever made a New Year's Eve resolution? Hands up, hands up. How many ever kept one? How many ever kept one? Y'all are a bunch of flops like me. <laughs> and uh, you, know, you know what? Um, you know what? I was in Bible college, and um, I was already tithing my money, okay? A little as well. I was still giving. I was giving tithing. I thought, I, hey, Harold, you ought to start tithing your time. I thought this was an original idea. <laughs> you ought to start tithing your time. I was sitting in chapel, had my Bible, opened up the fly leaf, wrote God a letter, dear God, dated it. I said, God, I promise you for the rest of my life, I'm going to spend 10% of my time, and I figured there's 24 hours in a day, and 10% of 24 is uh, two hours and uh, 40 minutes. Wrong. You went to public school too. <laughs> but that's what I thought. <laughs> I wrote it. I can still see it. Two hours and 40 minutes. The, Jesus, you've done so much for me. The least I could do would be to spend 10% uh, of my time every day uh, talking to you. And I, I wrote it down. Signed it. Anybody want to guess how long I made it? No, no, not even one day, brother. <laughs> I couldn't come up with 30 minutes worth of original material to talk to God about, much less two hours and 40 minutes. I, and, and I got a little tip. If you ain't talking to God for 20 minutes a day, don't go promising him you're going to spend three hours a day. You ain't going to make it. And you know what? God's not interested in us making promises that we can't keep. Amen. Well, 2 Corinthians. Show that scripture if you would. Show, show that scripture. We're going to read that in a second. My wife and I launched out into full-time evangelism, and we're traveling across the country. We're out in Seattle, Washington. You know, when you first get saved or start some sort of ministry, God gives you a spiritual oomph. You know, your gas tank's on full. Man, you're flying high. You ain't looking back from here on out, smooth sailing, right? <laughs> And after two years of disappointments, <laughs> after two years of, of uh, non-truthfulness, after two years of uh, being on the road, uh, the spiritual gas tank moved from full over to empty. And uh, I was hurting pretty tense. We're up in Seattle, Washington. <clears throat> Woke up one morning, yelled at my wife. I know it's hard to believe, but I yelled at my wife and stormed out of the room. Slammed that 500-pound motel room door shut. It was still dark. Walked out on the street. Stumbled over a couple of drunk Indians on the sidewalk. And I'm thinking, there's got to be more to it than this. Got to be. 
So I got out there all by myself in the dark on the sidewalk, and I started talking to God like I never talked to him before. You know what I started doing? Telling God the truth, whole truth, no holes barred. Here's the way I prayed. I said, dear God, I ain't been getting anything out of my Bible study, Lord. Absolutely nothing. I said, God, my heart's cold. I've lost my burden for souls. I said, God, I don't care if people go to heaven or hell. I said, God, I've been jealous of that other evangelist friend who's having more people saved than me. Now, when you get confessing jealousy and stuff like that, you're getting right down at the bottom of the situation. It ain't right there. And then I thought, and I prayed like this. I said, God, I've not been loving my wife like Christ loved the church. As a matter of fact, I yelled at her this morning. And I felt like I was giving God information he didn't already know. And I thought, now you done gone and done it. You done spilled the beans. Now God knows what a failure you are. Curtains for you. That's what I thought. Can you believe? I've been through Bible college and that's what I thought. Can you believe this? And I said, well, I done told him that. I might assume I had to tell him the rest of it. So I commenced to confess my sin. I wasn't asking God to forgive me of all my sin. I wasn't promising God I was going to do better next time. I was just telling God the truth and naming them one by one. And I began to commence to confess my sins one at a time. It probably took me about three quarters of an hour. And I finally, and I thought it was over, curtains. God will never use me now that he knows what a failure I am. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I confess one final sin. Oh, brother, the curtain was torn in two. The heaven opened up. Sun started shining. Joy came back. Been a long time since I smiled in a minute. Ran back to the hotel room, apologized to my wife. Sure sign I'd met God in revival. Then I told my wife, I said, honey, I made the greatest discovery. I found out you can tell God the truth. You can just flat out tell God the truth. And I found a scripture to support my experience. That's always a blessing. Here it is. Look at it. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's freedom. Freedom where the spirit of God is. It's not bondage. It's not all tight. Not all tense all the time. Not all just gutting it out, gritting it out, doing the best you can. No, where the Spirit of God is, freedom. Look at this. But we all with an open face. That means an unveiled face. That's what that means. We all with an unveiled, uncovered face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're changed into the same image, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. No wonder. I've been struggling in prayer because... My face has been veiled with all of this unconfessing. Well, I looked into Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I look favorably upon sin, if I cherish sin, God will not hear me. You know why I felt like God wasn't listening? Because he wasn't. Because I was cherishing sin. Looking favorably upon sin. Now, now, now listen, Isaiah 59. Your sins have separated between you and your God. Well, no wonder I've been having a deadbeat prayer life. Because here I am, <laughs> uh, not telling God the truth. God will never let you down, but he'll never let you off without telling the truth. And the gospel is not good advice for good people. It's good news for bad people. And reality and honesty and transparency gets an audience with God. 
So sometimes you've got to take the witness stand against your own heart. And that's what we've been doing here these days. We've been agreeing with God. Taking the witness stand. Lord, you're right. Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. And you know what? If you stood up here tonight and told us what you've really done, if you stood up and told us what you've really been, what you've said, what you've thought, <laughs> how you've acted, if you stood up here tonight and told us what you've really done, uh, your friends would be shocked. Your parents would probably be shocked. Your pastor, I doubt he would be shocked. But the church family would be shocked. Your family would be shocked. But you know something? You got nothing to tell Jesus that's going to surprise him or shock him because he's the unshockable one. And I want to tell you, he's already anticipated that we would be the kind of people that we are. He anticipated you would do the things you would do, say the things you would say, uh, and, and, and think the thoughts you have thought. He anticipated you to be that kind of person in advance, and he dealt with it on the cross by suffering the wrath of God against your sin and mine, but that shock's over now, and I want to tell you, you ain't got nothing to tell Jesus is going to surprise him because he already absorbed the shock of it on uh, the cross full force. We used to sing that song in revival, it is surely sufficient for me, it is surely sufficient for me. If the blood of Christ is sufficient for God, it's surely sufficient for me. Amen. Confession is telling the truth about myself. No cover-ups, no excuses, no rationalizations, no comparisons, just what it is is what it is. Now I want to say this, that God never convicts you of your sin to condemn you as a Christian. I said, God does not convict you of sin to condemn you as a Christian. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. How many of God's people are more guilt conscience than grace conscience? Boy, I wish I'd never done that. Man, I wish I'd never said that. I wish I'd never seen that. I got, I got news for you tonight. There's a fountain filled with blood that can erase that guilt and that shame. And God doesn't want us walking around with a, like a bunch of guilt-ridden, shameful penitents going to the vat. No, that's not what God wants. And I'm telling you, the grace of God is greater than your sin. That ought to put you on shouting ground. Now, there's no condemnation, but there is conviction. And he convicts us, so we'll get to the cross, own up, get cleansed, and get back up and keep on going. I used to think God's best gifts were on the top shelf where we'd have to climb higher, strive harder, and do better to get to him, and only the super saints could get to the top shelf gifts. I was wrong, as usual. <laughs> God's best gifts are not on the top shelf where you have to struggle to get to them. The best gifts are on the bottom shelf where you have to bend your old proud stiff neck and get down at them. God resists the proud, gives grace to the who are the humble, the most unlikely, the most unworthy, and the most undeserving. And when we take the sinner's place, God can pour out grace. Roy Hessian said revival is when the best people in the church start acting like sinners and confessing their sins. Revival doesn't start with the people that's farthest. It starts with the ones that are nearest. That's where it starts. It starts with the Monday night crowd, the Sunday night crowd, the Tuesday night crowd, the Wednesday night crowd. That's where it starts. Now, now listen, honesty is not the best policy when it comes to prayer. It's the only policy that makes connection with heaven. We got to get honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest with others. And that's what the fellowship of faith is all about. That's what the family of God is all about. That's what the one another commands are all about. 
Mm -mm -mm. Suppose I had a glass of liquid up here. And let's say um, one of these, that Ben, that Ben guy, he's so tall, man. Man, let's say he came up here and gave my arm a mighty shove. She came up here and shook my arm. He came up and just shook it. You, you know what would come out of the glass? Whatever's in it. If he shook my arm and water came out, uh, or water was in it, water would spill out. If, 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 if seven up was in it and he shook my arm, seven up would come out. If it was acid and he shook my arm, acid would spill out. Now, whenever you get shook, whatever you're full of comes out. Whenever you get shook in your home, on your job, in your church, whenever you get shook, whatever you're full of comes out. If you're full of Jesus, he comes spilling out. Ah, oh, but brother, if you're full of something else, it'll come out. I'll tell you, driving down here, I'll tell you what you're full of right quick. I'll just tell you that right now. Yeah. And you know what? You'll never get full of Jesus till you get emptied out of all this other stuff. Now, I was in Roanoke, Virginia. We were having an afterglow where people giving testimonies. People stuck around, probably at 80. A lot of older folks. And a couple of them gave a testimony. And then a young guy Red-haired guy, about 30, I guess. He, he said, I want to say something. I said, go ahead. He said, I'm a Sunday school teacher in the church, but he said, I'm not fit to be a Sunday school teacher. He said, I don't even do what I tell my Sunday school students they ought to do. He said, I'm a hypocrite. Started weeping. Then he said, uh, I don't know the first thing about leading my family in the things of God. Started weeping. I'm talking about sobbing and weeping, convulsing. Then he said, I'm not a witness for Christ where I work, the way I react in the flesh. Started weeping and convulsing. And man, the people got uncomfortable. <laughs> They're not used to this reality therapy. And uh, they kind of started looking down at the floor, you know. And after about three or four minutes, I said, wait a minute, hold it. I've been here. I've done, done this. If you'll keep this up, the cup's going to get emptied. The veil's going to be lifted. So I was smiling on the inside, but I was looking concerned on the outside. I knew the way of the cross leads home. He carried on for about seven or eight minutes, weeping, confessing, carrying on. And after about seven or eight minutes, buddy, you could tell, you could tell that Jordan had parted. He confessed one final sin. He looked around. His whole countenance changed. He said, well, I want to thank God for forgiving me of all these sins started praising God, carrying on, praising the Lord out loud. Can you imagine that? And, and, and you, know, you, know, you know what? Uh, after he finally finished, I said, now, folks, he didn't have to do all that in front of us, but I'm glad he did because he showed us the way of recovery is by humbling ourselves and getting honest at the foot of the cross. You'll never develop a meaningful relationship with God apart from honesty. Honesty. Now, you know, you might be a long ways from God, but you're only one step away from Calvary at any given time. Amen. How many know that God loves the lukewarm so much that he wrote them a, an appeal and a letter and, and, and pled with them uh, to repent? He loves the lukewarm. That's amazing, isn't it? And I want to say this again tonight. Calvary doesn't cover what you need to uncover in a fellowship sense because it blocks, puts a veil between us and God. That's what 1 John's all about. Now listen, 
there's a fountain filled with blood and God can help you if you're willing to tell God the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. There's liberty in what I'm telling you tonight. You don't have to try to fake it till you make it. Put on a front, pretend to be spiritual, obey all the rules. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, the Bible says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. What does that mean? Hurl your hurt on God. You know what bitterness is? It's unhealed hurt. It's unhealed hurt. And God's healing some, 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 some wounds to, in these days. That's what he's doing. So don't ask God to fill you unless you confess you're empty. Don't ask God for patience until you confess you have none. Don't ask God to make you kind until you confess you've been hateful. Don't ask God to make you a better husband until you say, God, I've been a fairly sorry husband. Just, just casting all your care, hurling all your hurt upon him, for he cares for you. I'll tell you, we have an empathetic Savior who can identify with us in all points. And I'm just telling you, he's ever interceding for us. So that's why, that's why if you're afraid, you can tell him. Now, Lord, I've got cancer. I don't know how to act. scared. Did you know you can talk to God like that? Lord, I've been worried. Just tell him. Discouraged? Just tell him. If you're depressed, tell him. And, and quit preaching to yourself. Roy Anderson said we're all preachers. If we don't preach to anybody else, we preach to our own hearts. And we tell ourselves how we ought to be doing better and you know, at this stage of the game, we ought to have our act together for crying out loud. And here we are condemning ourselves, beating ourselves. And I want to tell you that beating up yourself is neither healthy, it's not healthy nor helpful. If you're cold, you can tell him. Anybody ever get a cold heart? If you're hurting, you can tell him. If you're bitter, you can tell him. That's what we've been doing. <laughs> and God's been healing us. If you're mad, you can tell him. If you're confused, if you're guilty, if you're tempted, if you're flat, you can tell him. Casting all your care upon him. That's what honesty is all about. You know, you'll never develop a meaningful relationship with your spouse or your children or your parents or your friends apart from radical honesty. And we'll never develop a meaningful relationship with God apart from honesty and openness. So the question tonight is, are you enjoying God, enjoying prayer, or enduring God and enduring prayer? I want to assure you tonight that God wants us to delight ourselves in Him. He wants us to find a note of holy joy. And I know there's seasons of... Uh, Heaviness, I know there's seasons of trial. I know there's seasons of loss. I know there's seasons of deep, deep pain. But listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. God wants to heal our hearts. You know, Brother Childs here is 94 years old, lost his wife. You know what? 94, still got compassion, still got heart, still got purpose, still got... I admire this. I love this. Oh, God, don't let me dry up and be a grouchy old... Oh. No, God wants us to enjoy his presence every day. And God's helping us. And you have a church here where you have a culture of prayer. Y'all come together and pray. Most churches don't do this. I'm just telling you what a sad kind. But thank God you're in a place right here. 
and we're experiencing God and, and, and we're going for broke and we want the real deal and, and, and we're not looking for some flash in the pan, we're looking for God. And, and, and you know what? God wants us to enjoy his smile, not his frown. Behold, I stand at the door. Thank God he's knocking. He said, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him, fellowship with him, and he with me. All right, what's in the cup tonight? What's in your cup? Now, if there's anything in there that's unlike Jesus, this would be a good time to come on down to the altar right here and get that cup emptied out. God, I've said this, thought this, done that. Just come on, come on. You know, when I was confessing my sins on the streets of Seattle and I thought God would never use me again, I can imagine the Father was in heaven saying, Harold, come on, get it all out. It's taken me 12 years to get you honest. Come on, come on, come on. Just bring it all out. The blood's got you covered, son. And I'm telling you, there's liberty in what I'm telling you here tonight. So tonight, if you need to get emptied, we're going to have an altar service. And the altar is open right now, just right now, for those that would like to come and just kneel and talk to God. I would encourage you to do this. When you finish, take your time. Don't you rush. But when you finish, don't go back to your seat. I want to have a prayer with you. Just stand when you finish. But you take your time. That's right. That's right. Just, just come on. Just, just come on. Let's tell God the truth. Let's talk to God about the real things. Oh. Man, there's liberty in this. The blood's got us covered, brethren, but we need to get, it to the, to the, get out in the light about it. Just tell him the truth. Pour out your heart. Pray as long as you need to pray. Stay as long as you need to stay. One more thing. When you finish, just stand. We're going to have a prayer. But you just go ahead and pray.